We are going to continue on in the book of Romans, chapter 1 today, for scripture reading. Romans chapter 1, we will be picking up in verse 18. Follow along. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we come to you this morning uh, with a heart of gratitude. Lord, we thank you for your, your word. Lord, we thank you for our Bibles. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your teachings, Lord. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Doug and his willingness to come and, and bring your word to us, Lord, to help us understand who you are a little bit better today, to understand who we are to you a little bit better. Lord, I pray that we, you would prepare us for this day, for this lesson, for this truth, Lord. Lord, help us to apply this to our hearts, apply it to our lives, and take this and show the world who you are, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just be a part of the rest of this service today and the rest of our ministry. In your name we pray, amen. Would you all be willing to do something for me? Is um, I have to really blow my nose, and if I do that, it's going to sound really bad. So if you just make some noise for a little bit, uh, keep it coming. <laughs> Pollen. Something to remember as far as uh, your prayers this week. Um, Charlotte Yoakum had both of her knees replaced, and presently she is in the uh, rehab facility, the therapy facility of uh, Evan Hospital. Uh, while she is there, though, she is in quarantine, so we don't know if anyone can get in to visit with her. So please remember uh, Charlotte. Also, Cody, over here, there are different ways to get out of doing work, Cody, than uh, breaking your fibula, or fibia. What, what's the pronunciation of that? What is it? Whatever Cody said, whatever it's going But uh, pray for him. He does not have a cast on, and I think that decision is coming this week of whether to cast it or not. Okay, so re remember uh, Cody. And one other announcement that is totally my fault, and I take full responsibility for it, is I forgot to inform Diane of the upcoming adult Sunday school class 
that begins uh, next week. We'll be meeting in the uh, Fellowship Hall, and I'm going to be teaching a Sunday school class on that I've entitled Prayer, A Great Journey. And so come, we don't have a sign-up sheet. That, again, is my fault. All of this is my fault. I take full responsibility for it. And so, but you please come and join us in the Fellowship Hall beginning next Sunday. That would be, I trust, very profitable to you. From the passage that Pastor Steve read, we're introduced to a very unpopular theme. We do know that John tells us in 1 John that God is love. We, we won't argue that point that is equivocally in Scripture. It's unarguable. God is love. Unfortunately, we forget that he's also holy and just and righteous. In fact, the theme for this morning and for next week is capsulized, if you will, in verse 18, where it says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Wrath. Our journey comes to this particular topic because it's, it's next to the preaching moment. I had Pastor Steve stop at verse 23 because verse 24 opens up with the word therefore. So we're going to discuss this morning the reasons for the therefore. How did we get to that place? When you get to 24, 26, and 28 of Romans chapter 1, you will find out that God does something that I'm sure the world doesn't want to have happen. It says God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. It is a downward spiral, if you will, of not just a society, but also individuals in the society. Lord willing, we'll cover that next week, but this week I want to go from verse 18 to verse 23 and give to you three, if you will, reasons why God says, therefore. I've entitled this sermon, if you will, At What Point Does God Say Enough? He is long-suffering. He is patient. He is all of those things, but there comes a point when God says, enough. And what leads up to that is described for us in this passage this morning. The wrath of God exists because God's holiness, justice, and righteousness exists. And God is holy, so he is distinct from all worldliness. He is justice, he is just, which means he is fair and he's not a respecter of persons. 
He is righteous, which is his standard. And with all of those, when these characteristics of God are being, if you will, if they are being rejected and opposed, then that fuels God's initiative for his wrath. When we talk about the wrath of God, we're talking about God's justice, holiness, and righteous retribution against sin. Sin is an attack against God's holiness, his justice and righteousness. And sin must be atoned for because God hates sin. But it's interesting in Scripture that in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 11, listen to what God has to say. He says, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. So what this verse says is that God is more interested in repentance and forgiveness than he is in destruction and wrath. The New Testament is somewhat the same when it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there comes a time when his long-suffering and patience, when he says, enough. I want to give you four instances or at least four characteristics of God's wrath that are listed for us in the word of God. The first wrath of God or first type of wrath is, is what's called eternal wrath. It's that which is described in scripture as the place known as hell. And later on in Revelation chapter 21 it's referred to as the lake of fire. It is eternal wrath. It doesn't stop. And it's all because individuals have determined not to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Unfortunate as it is, there's only two ways that sin can be paid for. You can pay for it yourself, or you can trust the one who's already paid for it, naming Jesus Christ. In reality, that particular uh, truth is highlighted for us in the Gospel of Luke, a very familiar passage that's it's, it's called Lazarus and the Rich Man, where the rich man opens his eyes in torment. And all he wants is for Lazarus to, to put a, a, just a dip of water on his finger and touch his tongue to, re, to relieve him. For those individuals who think hell is going to be a party, I don't know if they understand what they're talking about. Th that's eternal wrath. There's no escape from it. 
And I'm going to shock you with a, with a statement this morning that I hope grabs your heart because it's this. Hell is full of believers, but it's too late. They believe now, but it's too late. The, the second type of, of God's wrath is what's called astiological. That's a big word, I know, for so early in the morning, but it literally means, if you will, eschatology is the study of future things. So eschatological wrath is described for us in the book of the Revelation in the form of seals, bowls, and trumpets. Future of what's going to happen. Eschatological. The third is what's called catamalistic wrath. Well, we're talking about what's referred to in Genesis chapter 7, the flooding of the earth. Or in Genesis chapter 19, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Or in Numbers chapter 16, when God opens the earth and swallows the family that is against Moses. Cataclysmic. Wrath of God. But finally, there is the consequential wrath of God, which is described as being in the scriptures that God ushers in his wrath because you sow what you reap. That may be more of a passive wrath than the others that we've discussed, but it's still a determination of God against sin. God's wrath. And so this morning's passage that Pastor Steve read, God's wrath is released because of the actions of mankind which are described for us as being consequential. Mankind has engaged themselves in actions contrary to God's character. And because of that, God pronounces his judgment. I do wish to say, though, what we need to, at least I need to introduce to you a biblical truth that all of you should sit forward and say, thank God. Because in Romans chapter 5, we're not there yet, we'll get there, but probably 2023. Um, we haven't even got out of chapter 1, and this is the fourth sermon on this chapter. But in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, it says that those of us, those individuals who by grace through faith trust in Jesus Christ are saved from the wrath of God. But the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9 says, but God chastens those whom he loves. Chastening is different than wrath. When God pours out his righteousness of God, that is wrath. The righteousness of God. But righteousness from God produces faith. 
in him. So on the outset, we can at least say that what the Apostle Paul is writing about, even though he has addressed this letter to believer people, saints, remember, beloved of God, chapter 1, verse 7. But he's not referring to this passage in any way for believers. But I am here to tell you, dear people, it's this. As believers, we can fall into this yes we will be spared the wrath of God but the chastisement he will not spare because he loves us we're his beloved and so the apostle Paul as he writes we continue with this very very important theological truth but we must first consider how does verse 17 relate to verse 18. They begin both by the same word for. There are some translations where verse 16 and 17 is tied right to verse 18. I see a little bit different correlation there. But there is, if you will, a common theme in verse 17 the apostle paul says for in it the righteousness of god is revealed referring to the gospel of chapter 16 or verse 16 it's revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith we discuss that uh, hopefully, in intense meaning, that to realize that the gospel just isn't there to get your foot into heaven, is to change your life until we get to heaven. Faith to faith, beginning to end. The gospel is the power of God that does that. But here in verse 18, the same wording is used for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness because men willingly suppressed the truth. It's revealed. And so the correlation between is that we see two characteristics of God's holiness, justice, and righteousness. And so I'm here to tell you this morning, dear people, that both of these cases rest on the issue of what do we do with the word of God. On one hand, believing brings to you the righteousness from God. The other hand, the, the ignoring it or suppressing it brings the righteousness of God. Wrath. So what the Apostle Paul is setting up here is, what are you doing with the word of God? Are you willing 
to obey? Are you willing to trust? Are you willing to incorporate it in your life? I mean, that's the question. So we continue. When a person heeds the truth and believes the truth of Scripture, that person is guaranteed what John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, he who has the Son has life. Remember last week, he said so. That's the only reason why I know I'm going to heaven. Because he said so. So in one sense, the righteousness of God is revealed through the words of the gospel, which promises life. And on the other hand, verse 18 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed, is metered out against sinfulness of mankind, who purposely suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Maybe just maybe, as one particular author said, in order to fully understand the blessing of salvation through the gospel, one must understand the horrific reality of sin. The problem that faces all of mankind is this. We don't believe we're sinners. Oh, I may not be as bad as that guy. You know, we do that, that compare and blame game. Well, I'm not that bad, so I must still be okay. But that's not what the scripture says. Paul is setting up, as we will get to chapter 2 and chapter 3, the horrificness of sin. In chapter 4, where did sin come from? In chapter 5, how can we be released from the clutches of sin? So for many years, our culture has been fed the horrible theology of humanism, which, is, which has as its foundation that mankind is ultimately good. I really appreciate uh, all of you <coughs> that when you ask, how am I doing? When I ask you how you're doing, you say, I'm doing good. And forgive my rhetorical response because I come back with, but that's not what the scripture says. There's none good. No, not one. You may be doing okay. You may be doing all right. You may be physically fine. But that street vernacular, we ain't good. In Christ, we have Christ's righteousness. It's still him. It's not us. It's still him. Anyway. So let's get started. What are the three reasons that the Apostle Paul bases God's wrath on. The first one is the rejection of truth. Verse 18. The rejection of truth. It says that the word suppressing 
is understood to mean purposely holding down and not allowing something to be manifested. Let me give you an illustration. If you have a beach ball or any kind of ball that is infused with air, and you take it in the water with you, and you try to hold that ball down, you're going to feel the force that it doesn't want to be held down. It wasn't made to be under the water, it was made to be on top of the water. And so what you are doing is you are suppressing the natural use of that beach ball or that other ball that's filled with air. It doesn't like the situation it's in, it wants to be set free. And in this particular passage, verse 18, that's what mankind is doing to the word of God. Suppressing it, keeping it, if you will, under wraps, keeping it from not accomplishing what God intended for it to do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10. We get there in 2024. The suppression of truth comes in many varieties of statements when they say, well, that's good for you, but for me. Or they say, there is no absolute truth, which is kind of funny because they've made an absolute statement. There is no one way. Oprah Winfrey in 1997 said it this way on one of her shows. She says, I take full responsibility for my going to hell or heaven. Oh, really? So it depends on you. The one side, you don't have to do anything. You're bound for that. The other side doesn't depend on you. It's in Jesus Christ alone. The suppression of truth. The same is true of God's word. God is for the purpose of revealing God's righteousness, verse 17, and man's unrighteousness. What mankind refuses to acknowledge or when mankind refuses to acknowledge the truth of God's word, they are suppressing it, which ultimately reveals their unrighteousness. People have had God's truth, but suppressed it, refusing to heed it. And these wicked ones did this in an attitude of wickedness. It's nothing new, by the way. You might remember the account in the book of Exodus. Moses is at the top meeting with God. People are at the bottom waiting for Moses. Moses has been up there too long. I don't know if he's coming back or not. Aaron, create for us a God. Moses comes down, destroys smashes, throws the tablets that he was carrying. How quickly we forget the word of God. 
Specifically when Moses told them, behave, I'm going to go up to meet God. And they could see it. They could hear it. They were witnesses of it. Even before they got there, seeing God open the Red Sea, how quickly we forget the word of God. We like to suppress it. Can that happen in a believer's life? I know what the Bible says, but, and I say, don't go any further. Don't go any further. If you know what the Bible says, do not try to go against it. They rejected the truth. The second thing, the rejection of Revelation. Not the book of the Revelation, but rejection of Revelation. Someone wisely said, every morning you put your feet on the ground, nation, or the nature and creation is preaching a sermon. These verses declare that knowledge concerning God is available to all. This knowledge is called natural revelation because it is seen in the created world. We're talking about verses 19 and 20. Where God in all of his attributes, his power, his holiness, his righteousness is on display for the whole world. It's called natural revelation. In verse 19, Paul called this knowledge manifest or plain, meaning God did it. It's not confusing. Look at the creation of a tree and how you plant a certain seed. Even if you turn that seed upside down, it still knows how to grow. The roots go down, stems go up. It's ingrained in it. And when we come to the design of man, the writer of Psalms 19 says we are created in the image of God. We're his highest created form. That's why Satan hates us so much. That's why he wants to destroy us. Because we are a reminder of what he once was. Isaiah chapter 14. You couldn't get in to see God if Lucifer said no. He ministered over the throne of God. He was top dog. He was the highest of creation at that time. But in his fall, God said, I'll show you a creation that's better than you. And he created man, mankind. That's why Satan hates us so much. It's unfortunate, too, that our society is focused on hating 
God in such a realm that they feel the killing of innocent babies is okay. The Speaker of the House of Representatives made an unbelievable statement when she said, I'm glad that I'm rich and have a family so all you poor women can have abortions. People paid abortions. How far have we fallen? How far? Every person on the face of the earth is aware of good and evil. And in that, the problem is, is that man refuses to reject, he refuses or rejects this revelation because they reflect the very act of God's power and creation. Verse 20 tells us that what may be known about God is now called God's invisible qualities and identified as his eternal power and divine nature. It's who he is. You want to know who God is? Don't go hug a tree. Thank the one who made it. Since God is spirit in John chapter 4 and verse 24, all his qualities are invisible to the physical eye that can, but, and yet can be understood by the human mind only as they are reflected in what has been made. That is God's creative work. The rejection of truth is rooted in the false religion of evolution, which refuses to acknowledge the existence of God as the creator of all things and instead relies on a theory of continued advancement, of betterment of society. Notice what the Apostle Paul says as he closes verse 20. In that last sentence, he says, thus individuals are without excuse. No place for them to turn. The third and last thing is this rejection of true worship. The rejection of true worship. It doesn't say they stopped worshiping. They just started worshiping things that were based upon man instead of acknowledging the glory and wonder of who God is. In verse 21 and 23, the reason for God's wrath builds on the preceding one just as the one, first one was on, built on the next. And people's suppression of the truth is seen in their rejection of the clear evidence of God as a sovereign creator and their perversion of that knowledge leads to idolatry. I need to inform all of you that there is no such person as an atheist. Oh, they may refuse to acknowledge that there is a God or the God, but they worship a God. Whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's fame, whether it's lifestyle, whether it's themselves. 
It is ingrained that individuals must worship. Problem is, in this case, they're not worshiping the true God. So people's suppression of the truth has caused this downward trend. It's based on although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Don't miss those three words. Maybe it's just me. I'm, I'm getting older. I know that. But maybe it's just me. But have you recognized in the last few years that we go from Halloween to Christmas? We forget Thanksgiving. As soon as Halloween is over in the stores, you check it out this year. As soon as Halloween is over, they put up Christmas. There's no acknowledgement of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has turned out to be more of killing a big chicken and eating because you got to get out the next day for Black Friday. We forget Thanksgiving. And it's all because, as the text says, we're not thankful. They've turned from every, from the very purpose for which God has made mankind, which is to glorify him and for his, and, and, and for his people and thank him for his work. That's what God has designed us to do. And with such willful rebellion, God, against God, it's a little wonder that their thinking became futile. That word futile means worthless. Would someone please give me the reasoning why in California you can go into any store and walk out with enough merchandise that you don't hit a thousand dollars and you're okay. Someone give to me the common sense of that whole situation. Where you can walk into whether it's Walgreens, whether it's TJ Maxx, load up your backpack with stuff that you haven't bought, and you're okay. Because the governor said, it's not $1,000, don't arrest them. Is that still true with cocaine? That's still true with life-altering drugs? As long as it doesn't make $1,000, you're still okay. $1,000 and one cent, boy, you're going to prison. Their thinking is worthless. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. That's what the scripture says. 
the downgrading of life. And when the true source of wisdom is rejected, people claim to be wise. It's nothing more than an idle boast. Progressively, they become fools. And I love what someone said. It means literally became stupid. It's a reality of when they worship gods and idols in the forms of people and animals. Time doesn't allow us to, but I want to direct you to Isaiah chapter 44 and verses 9 to 20. There's a story in there that's really kind of interesting. A guy goes and cuts down a tree, half of it. He, he burns for, for warmth, then he can cook his food and, and keep himself warm, and the other half, he designs an idol. And he worships the idol, but he forgets that he's been kept warm. And he has food to eat. Isaiah 44, 9 to verse 20. Check it out for yourself. So man's refusal to acknowledge and glorify God leads to a downward path. First, worthless thinking, next, moral insensitivity, and then religious stupidity. Now my question is, at what point does God say, enough? My second question might be just as powerful when it says this. Can all of this even happen to a Christian? Can we refuse to acknowledge God and walk our way? As Paul says, saved as if by fire. It's all you got. Verse 24 begins by saying, therefore. Therefore. At what time does God say enough? Therefore. We'll look at that next week. Three things that God turns people over to for consequences. We can make choices. But we are not free to choose the consequences. Those are reserved for God. Let's pray. Father, it's difficult because we don't like to talk about your wrath. It's, it's down the road a little bit. But we see so much around us, Lord, that your wrath is even being poured out now. Passive as it may be, no, it's not catamaglistic. It's, it's, not, it's not yet ecclesiastical. It is not yet, but it is passive. We see the world. And its condition. And unfortunately, 
It's even calling out to believer people to join them. Everything will be all right. Lord, I, I ask that maybe this morning we've been awakened to a reality that there is a time when you say, enough. And may we never cross that threshold. Bring about to us, O oh Lord God, a, a renewal of our own hearts to you. And thanking you that, yes, we have been spared your wrath. But we can still come under chastisement, correction. And that hurts too. So awaken us, O oh Lord God, to your purpose and your plan. And may we come, O oh Lord, to that place where we just fall on our knees and say thank you for all that you have done. Because we can never do that enough. Unto you we proclaim. In the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.